Merry Christmas, everyone. Kids, I'm just checking. Any presents under the tree for you? Just checking. All right, I'm going to come back and ask you about those presents, so listen up. So if you're a guest here, my name is also Mark. There's a lot of Marks around here, okay? So anyways, we are so glad that you're here. A special welcome to anybody who's visiting from out of town, family or friends. Thanks for making the trip. And for any of you who just come from around the corner and just here for the first time, welcome. Here's our hope at Door Creek. We want to be a Christ-centered church for all people, which means wherever you are at today in your own spiritual journey, this is a good place for you, and we are glad that you join us this Christmas. So I don't know if you caught Suzanne's word in that story we just listened to, but they were profound when she said, for the first time I was convinced of two things, right? That Jesus is a real person, and that he is the Son of God. This is just what I've been looking for, she says. And it reminded me of Luke's gospel. Luke is one of the four gospels, each of them kind of a different portrait on the life of Christ. And Luke gives the fullest detail on the birth narrative. And he actually tells us why he wrote the gospel and it had everything to do with Suzanne's experience. So I wrote you this gospel, Theophilus, this friend of his, who is a Christ follower, so that you could be sure, that you could be convinced, so you could have certainty over the things that you've heard, over the things that you've been taught, all the things concerning Jesus Christ. Let me read to you those opening verses from Luke's gospel. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, and here's why, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Some have described Luke's gospel as the gospel that helps us know for sure. That's why he wrote it. And so as we go through the story of Christ's birth, as it's described by Luke, written by Luke, he wants those of us who are followers of Christ to gain more confidence in our faith in Jesus Christ. For those of you who aren't there yet, you're curious, or maybe you're arms crossed, cynical, you're not even sure why you're here. Yeah, you know why you're here, because you're here because you want to make someone happy. But here you are. I want you to just listen in. And hear how it is that Luke will use the narrative event of Jesus' birth to help people who follow Christ to gain more confidence in their faith. If you think about it, it's the only major hero that we would have a special day set aside where we actually focus that day on their birth. We don't do that for Lincoln. We don't do that for Washington. But there's something unique about Jesus' birth. So listen up and see how he goes about that. It starts in chapter 2 with these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from town of Nazareth in Galilee up north to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, like five miles outside of Jerusalem, because he belonged to the house and line of David. 
he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I want you to notice how it starts. It doesn't start like this. Once upon a time, in a land far away, right? It doesn't start off like that. What he says, first off, is you can have certainty about your faith in Jesus Christ in this. He's a real person who entered space-time. He came, this is a historical event he's talking about. He mentions the eyewitnesses. Most New Testament scholars believe that actually Luke had a sit-down interview with Mary because there's nobody else who's written a gospel that has more about the birth narrative and more about Mary than Luke. They actually believe he sat down and was one of the eyewitnesses. So he's saying these were eyewitness accounts that I've carefully investigated and from the beginning I've written them down so that you'd be convinced and certain of the things that you've heard and been taught. Real people in real places, like Caesar, the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus, like Quirinius, the governor of Syria. Matthew will tell us about King Herod, who ruled over Palestine at that time, under the Roman emperor. Like people like Joseph and Mary, in places like Nazareth, where they were from, and and Bethlehem, where they would travel to and where Jesus would be born. Take confidence and remember that Jesus' birth is described as an historical event. Not a fanciful tale, not a myth. Facts, dated facts, places. There's a second thing he says. Remember that Jesus' birth wasn't just an historical event, but it was a God event. And he's going to point to two things. Fulfilled promises or prophecies. These predictions about this coming Savior and how Christ fulfills those. And then he's going to talk about the miraculous nature of Christ's birth and coming to this world. So one of the things we see here in Luke's account is that God's fingerprints are over all of it, even the details. And so at at one glance, you might say, wow, what a coincidence that there just happened to be this decree to everybody go register and pay their taxes to the Roman Empire. And what a great thing, because, you know, we know that the Savior is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's what Micah said, Micah 5.2. And so, man, that was a good coincidence. That was lucky. that it, No, no, this is, this is all a God thing. God's in the midst of it. So from the very beginning pages of the Bible, there's this promise of a Savior when Adam and Eve busted up this good creation, their relationship with God and each other, and all of even the physical existence of our universe affected by their rebellion against God. And he promises this, that I'm going to send a Savior. Eve is going to be one of your male descendants down the line, and his job is going to be to crush, to destroy, to have victory over the enemy. In chapter 12, there's more detail about this coming Savior. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham. And he's going to bring blessing, God's blessing, to all the families of the world. In chapter 49 of Genesis, he's going to come from one of the particular tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, and he's going to be a king. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, he's going to be like any other king. David, he's going to be one of your descendants. David was one of the kings of Israel. And actually, he's going to set up an eternal kingdom, and he is going to rule on that throne forever. He's going to establish God's kingdom, and he's going to rule forever. 
In Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Christ ever came to this earth, there was these prophecies and predictions about this one who's going to come, and his hands and his feet are going to be pierced, and they're actually going to gamble for his clothing, the very things that the gospel writers say happen at the cross. In Isaiah chapter 9, there's these beautiful titles of this coming Savior. He's going to be the wonderful counselor. He's going to be mighty God. He's going to be the everlasting Father, and he's going to be the Prince of Peace. But he's not going to know peace himself. He's going to be crushed, and he's going to be bruised, and he's going to be wounded for our transgression, for our sin, Isaiah says. And Micah says, and oh, by the way, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, this backwater town kind of off the map, just outside of Jerusalem. So it's a God event. God's orchestrating things. God's in control. So when Herod finds out that the Magi, the wise men, had been to Bethlehem to worship this newborn king, he heard from the religious leaders that the place he was supposed to be born was in Bethlehem, and they don't come back, and he's, he's furious. He's threatened by this supposed new king. And so he sends his minions and his soldiers down to Bethlehem to wipe out all the babies two years and under, the baby boys. And the angel came to Joseph and warned him, this is what's going to happen, and so you've got to flee with Mary and little Jesus to, to, to uh, Egypt. God's in control. One of the prophecies said in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that the Savior would be actually be born of a virgin. It says that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So when Jesus came and when he was born, it was a miraculous birth. Luke's going to make it clear that he's, he's coming to this world like nobody else has ever come. There's nobody like Jesus. In chapter 1, Luke will tell us that the angel comes to Mary and says to Mary, Mary, you have found favor with God, and you're going to have a son. You're to name him Jesus, which means God saves. God is salvation. And he will reign on his father David's throne. So this prophecy of this eternal king, 2 Samuel 7. He's going to be on David's throne. And he's going to be called son of the most high. He's going to be God's son. He's going to be your son, Mary. You know what her response was? This ain't happening. How can this be? Don't you know that I'm a virgin? Joseph knew he wasn't the father. That's why he wants to quietly dismiss her and break up this betrothal, which is more than our engagement. The way you would do that is you would divorce the person. He was ready to silently divorce her. He knew he wasn't the father. Mary knew she hadn't had relations with any man. And so the angel said, well, this is how it's going to happen. And all we know is God was going to make it happen through the Holy Spirit. The same God who created this whole universe, the Bible says, out of nothing. In the incarnation, when Jesus took on human flesh, that Holy Spirit gave Mary a Y chromosome so she could have a little baby boy. Reminding us that Jesus' miraculous birth is pointing to his divine nature. There's something unique about him. And Jesus gave testimony of that very thing, that he and the Father were one, that they were equal. It's what drove the religious leaders crazy, and it, brought, it drove Jesus to the crosshairs of their hatred and anger where they decided he's got to be done in. we got to get rid of him. And it's on this very point that he claimed and would not refuse claiming that he's the son of God. Luke makes that clear in chapter 22, verse 70. So 
you know, for some of us, as we've been considering Christianity, as we think about Christ, we're actually comfortable with this category, and it goes like this. I think he was a good man. I think he was a good moral teacher. I think there's things that we can learn from him. But the interesting thing, as Lewis points out in his great classic book, Mere Christianity, is Jesus actually doesn't give you that option. He doesn't give us the option of a good moral teacher. He's either a liar, he's not who he said he is, he's a nutcase, he's a lunatic, Lewis says, who thinks he's a hard-boiled egg, or he actually is who he is and said he is. He's the Lord. He is the Son of God. An historical event, a God event, and then a very humble event. Not something that we would write into the script if we were writing this story Not something that Luke would make up to get more people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what I'm talking about. The the story continues in verse 8 of chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Oh, you thought this was Linus' soliloquy. No, actually, this is from Luke's gospel. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. Same word for Christ. It's not his last name. He is Messiah, the promised anointed one is what Messiah means. He is the Lord. By the way, 20 times Lord is used in chapters 1 and 2. Every time references God. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Note to self, there weren't a lot of babies in Bethlehem lying in mangers that night. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The very first flash mob right there in the hills outside of Bethlehem. So this is a very humble beginning that he tells us about. This is not what we would expect. Come on, this is the king of kings. This is God's son. And he's laid in a manger in a feeding trough. Kids, that made me think about my dog, Lovey. Lovey's just a lump of love. And here's a picture of Lovey with our little grandson, Henry. And Lovey is always making a mess around his water dish. And it's half of it's outside the dish. And... The stuff that's in the dish, he drinks a lot of it, and then he leaves some of it, if you know what I mean. And it gets kind of nasty there in his dish. And every now and then, I just got to clean it out. And it's just like, I'm sorry, it's slimy, it's yuck, and it's nasty. And you know what? All those animals licking out the hay and the straw and whatever it is, their shepherds and farmers were feeding them. They, nobody ever went back to that manger, that feeding trough. If you grew up in the farm, right? It's just, you just, come on. It's the animals. It's all good for them. So it's encrusted with you know what, slobber for how long, who knows. That is not where you're going to lay the son of God. That's not where you're going to lay your child. Another thing you wouldn't do is you wouldn't write the shepherds into the story. I mean, I know why you think the shepherds should be in the story because you're thinking about the shepherds that you've seen or maybe anybody play a shepherd when you were little? I did a couple of times. You know, you got that little robe thing on, a little white thing on, a little rope thing over here and a piece of wood in your hand and everybody went, oh, they're so cute, those shepherds. Nobody hearing this story in the first century had that response to shepherds. 
they would go, what? The angel announced it to who? You guys, the shepherds were a suspicious group of people. Number one, they had a problem keeping the ceremonial law because they were working with animals and all that stuff. So it made it hard for them to get even into the courts of the temple. Number two, they were known as thieves. So that the Talmud, the religious writings by the religious leadership there in the first century said this about the shepherds. Their testimony was inadmissible in the court of law. So suspicious, their moral character. There is no way we'd say, and the first eyewitnesses of this miraculous birth were the shepherds. Because everybody would go, well, that's not a good group because you can't trust the shepherds. In the same way, at the end of his gospel, John and Luke and Matthew and Mark tell us that the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection was women. Believe it or not, you go, yeah, I believe it. Wasn't that long ago in our country, right? Women back then also couldn't bear testimony in the court of law. We wouldn't make this stuff up. How should a king come? Well, all you got to do is think back five years. Little Prince George, Kate Middleton, and Prince William. This is how a king should come. There's photo ops on the front steps of St. Mary's Hospital. This, this introduction of this one who's now the third in line of the British throne. There's a 41 cannon salute. Are you kidding me? There's crowds around Buckingham Palace looking at the framed birth announcement as it sits on this easel of gold. That's how a king should come. Wrap the kid up in not swaddling clothes, but in beautiful satin sheets. Don't put him in a feeding trough. Are you kidding me? In an ornate, beautiful crib. He should be born of nobility, not poor peasants like Joseph and Mary, who didn't even have enough money to buy a lamb when they dedicated him to God on the eighth day. All they had was money enough for two doves. He had to be living in the safe confines and the luxury of a palace, not fleeing to Egypt as a refugee. This is a huge surprise that God would send his son and that he would come in such humility. And that was not just the beginning of his life, but all the way to the end of his life when he hung naked, suspended on a Roman cross between heaven and hell. He came for you and me. And the fourth thing we understand here is not only just the humble nature of his birth, but how his birth is for all people. So what do the angels say? Don't be afraid. Of course they were freaked out. Anytime we see anybody meeting one of God's messengers, that's what an angel means, a messenger of God. Everybody hits the dirt. They've been hanging around God and his glory is part of the afterglow of their own nature and they're freaked out, these shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem. And the angel says, don't be afraid, fear not. And I want to say there's a whole bunch of us that just need that word from God. Fear not. Fear not about what's going on with your health or the health of a loved one. Fear not about that broken relationship, the financial stuff that's going on. Whatever it is that is hard. Man, that that verse was everything for my wife, Lori, when she was going through breast cancer. And the doc said, look, you're not going to make it. And our kids were five up to 17. And it was that Christmas card with those words, fear not, that just brought about a deep peace in Lori's heart. And you need that. Fear not. Why? Why fear not? Because I got good news. 
that's going to give you great joy. What is it that today, 2,000 years ago, it really happened that God sent his son into this world? Today in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born, and it says, to you, if it's to the shepherds, then there isn't any of us. And we, we couldn't say, well, you know, I got an asterisk. Man, I've done a lot of crazy stuff in my life, and I'm sure he died for most everybody, but he didn't die for me. No, he came to die for you too. A Savior has been born to you. This is good news of great joy for all people. And so, Christian, gain confidence in your faith as you remember 2,000 years ago the story didn't start as a fairy tale. It was rooted in history that he is in his miraculous birth the son of Mary and at the same time, and it's a complete mystery, the son of God. He is the good news. He is the source of great joy and he is the one that gives us peace with God and having peace with God, it doesn't mean everything goes easy but you have a settleness in your heart that even in the storms of life, you could know that calmness that the Bible says goes beyond human comprehension. Be strengthened in your faith as you remember his coming for you. And for those of you who haven't come to that place, I would pray, my prayer would be that this Christmas, that you could say like Suzanne for the first time, I have certainty, I am convinced that Jesus is a real person and that he is the Son of God. And this, a relationship with God through faith in Christ is what I've been looking for. Now, here's the tricky thing. Kids, remember when I asked you about is there a present under the tree? Did any of you raise your hands and say, yeah? Any kids know that there's a present under the tree for them? All right, so would you agree with me that knowing that there's a present under the tree is different than actually opening the present and making it yours, right? So we can know that there's a present at Christmas and it's God's son, the indescribable gift. It's called, Jesus is called. We need to receive him by faith. But here's the deal. It requires great humility. Because in, in trusting in Christ, we're acknowledging that I actually need a savior, and here's what I know about the human condition. Nobody woke up this morning, no matter how difficult our life is, going, man, I'm so glad my, my life is a train wreck, and I can't wait to ask everybody I meet and know for help today. Is that how we're wired? Absolutely not. We can handle this. We're going to work this thing out. Okay, we're, we're always working it out, trying to be our own savior. Here's what Keller says about the Christmas story on this very point in his masterful little book, The Hidden Meaning of Christmas. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. You go, I have no idea who Keller is. Well, have you heard of Pink? Here's what she said in her lyrics. I'm a hazard to myself. Don't let me get me. Here's what Herman Melville said in his classic Moby Dick. This is great. Heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike. For we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. Oh, may you know that Jesus is your Savior who came to die, that you might have life and peace and great joy and meaning and significance in this life 
and in the next. Let's pray. So, Father God, I pray that you would grant faith, and I pray that you would strengthen faith as we hear your word. For those, Lord, who do not know you yet and who aren't sure about anything they've heard today, I pray that you'd meet them as only you can and let them know of your great love. And for those of us who know you, may we live the kind of life and share the good news in such a way that like the shepherds, we don't just go glorifying you, but we tell others about you in such a way that those people are amazed at the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name for your glory, Lord. Amen.